0: Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the Captain's Log Sermons. You'll be hearing Nathan preach not only at Liberty Grace Church, but also at surrounding churches. We hope that this is an encouragement to you and that you're blessed. Hey there, Liberty Grace. It's great to see you all this evening, and I hope that you've been doing well and keeping safe over these past couple of days. And I just want to say Merry Christmas to all of you. I know that this Christmas hasn't necessarily looked the way that we had hoped or or wanted it to. Uh, It's been a very unexpected and uncertain Christmas for most of us. But I hope that it's still been a really good time to reflect and to celebrate the birth of Christ. As a church, over the past couple of weeks, we've been going through our Why Christmas series, looking into the book of Hebrews, which is such a rich and beautiful book, one of my favorites in the New Testament, to see why it is that we have Christmas, why it's worth celebrating, and what it was that Jesus came to accomplish when he was born in the stable so many years ago. And so today we're continuing in that series and we're actually going to be finishing it up today I we're going to be taking us through one more passage in the book of Hebrews to see a little more of why it is that Jesus came. And so we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 to 8 which was read for us earlier in the service. And as we launch right into this passage what we see in the very first four verses that we encounter is that it doesn't seem to be giving us a very hopeful or uplifting view of life as the author is describing the old testament sacrificial system but what the author is actually doing here in these first few verses is that he's showing us that the beauty of the law is that it shows our inability to live in perfect obedience to god and it shows our need for a savior look at what he says in the first four verses for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the author is looking here at the Old Testament sacrificial system in which the Jews would offer animals in in payment for their sins. The animals would take the punishment of death that the people deserved. And what he's showing in these first four verses is that this sacrificial system was a constant reminder to to the people of their inability to live in obedience to God that in these sacrifices, there was a reminder of sin every year. The people would offer these sacrifices again and again and again because they would continually fall short of the standard that God had set in the law. They could not measure up to it, which is why the sacrifices were needed. But what he also makes sure to point out is that the law and the sacrificial system, it was pointing to something greater that was coming. He says that this, this whole system, it was a shadow of the true form of these realities, that it was meant to point that something greater was coming down the line. And he asked the question, if, if this whole system was enough to fully deal with our sin, would we have to continually offer these sacrifices? Wouldn't just one be enough? But one wasn't enough. The people had to continually offer these sacrifices. And so the author is pointing out that the law really showed their inability to live in a way that pleased God. Their inability to measure up to God's standard. And the inability of the law to fully deal with their sin. And this would have been such a difficult thing for the Jewish people to hear. The law was such a foundational part of their culture. It was more than just a religion. It was their entire way of life. And they would have put all of their hope and their trust in their ability to please God through their sacrifices and through their observance of the law. But a trap that they could easily fall into is that following this law and making these sacrifices could become very easily more of an act of religious or, or legal obligation rather than from a heart of true obedience to God or love for Him. And a great example of this is the religious leaders in the time of Jesus who would write extra laws to cushion around God's law to keep them so far away from breaking his law and who took a lot of pride in their ability to be good enough for God. But what the author is pointing out here in these first four verses is that was never going to happen. They were never going to be good enough for God and this law was never meant to be the final solution, but it was meant to point forward to something greater. But I think you and I can very easily fall into that trap as well in thinking that we can be good enough for God. That we can just do enough and we can measure up so that God will be pleased enough with us to accept us. But just like the author here is telling the Jews, he's also telling us there's nothing that we could do on our own that would please God. There's nothing we could do on our own that would earn his forgiveness. Instead, what he points out is that this law was meant to point forward to something greater. And so he points out in verses five to 14, he continues and uh, these are really beautiful verses showing what this greater reality is that he's already referred to. And Look at what he says. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. So that's really summing up what the author has already said in verses one to four waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified and so he showed in the first four verses how the beauty of the law was that it showed our inability to live in perfect obedience to god and it showed our need for a savior and so in this next part of the passage what he's showing is that the beauty of Christ is that Christ did live in perfect obedience to God and was that savior that we needed. You see God never wanted this system where people were continually offering animals to be the permanent fix instead that those sacrifices that whole system pointed to something greater and what it was pointing to was the coming of Jesus. On Christmas Eve Daryl took some time to look at Jesus and show how he is our representative before God and came to be himself a sacrifice for our sins. Taking the death that we deserved and allowing us to receive full forgiveness for our sins, Jesus doesn't need to die repeatedly for us to be forgiven for our sins. He died once, and that sacrifice was enough. That sacrifice did for us what no sacrifice under the Old Testament law ever could. And this is highlighted so well in verses 14. I'm going to read from there down to the end of verse 18, where it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so the law showed the people how they were unable to live in perfect obedience to God, how they needed a Savior. That Jesus came, and in doing so, He lived in perfect obedience to God. And He was that Savior we needed. His entire, his entire coming was an act of perfect obedience to provide himself as that perfect sacrifice in our place. And that is the gospel. That's what God really wanted. And that is the entire story of scripture. All of it built up to this moment, built up to Jesus coming and offering himself in an act of perfect and pure obedience to God, giving us that example of what it means to live in obedience to God fulfilling his will on earth and providing himself as a sacrifice in our place. So often throughout Jesus' ministry, we see that he he tells the people that he has come to do the will of the Father. He has come to do the will of him who sent me. Everything that he did here on earth, he did in obedience to God. And he lived a life of perfect obedience to God, not out of a sense of of religious or ritual obligation as as the Jews could easily fall into, but rather out of a heart of love for the Father. Even at the very end of his life, on the evening before he was crucified, Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said these words in Luke 22, verse 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The task that Jesus came to do, it was a really difficult one. And yet he came to do it out of obedience to God. And his prayer was not my will, but yours be done. His coming was an act of perfect obedience. And he gave us a picture of what that looks like. And he is the only one who can live in that perfect obedience to God. That's why we needed him to be that sacrifice for us. Because as the law showed the Jews, they could never measure up through their own good works to God's standard. They could never live with that kind of obedience. And neither can we. We are in need of that savior. And Jesus is that savior that we need. And so the heart of this passage In in Hebrews chapter 10, this this fourth thing that we learn in our Why Christmas series is that Jesus came to show us a picture of a life lived in full obedience to God and to provide himself as the way for us to have a relationship with God through his sacrifice. And so as we come to the end of this series through the book of Hebrews, we've really just scratched the surface of everything that Hebrews has to offer. And I would encourage you, take some some time on your own and read through this book. See the beauty of what it says and learn about who Christ is. But I want to take a moment and just tie this series together right at the end. We're here in this Sunday between Christmas and New Year's coming from this time of celebrating Christ and coming into the time of making resolutions and, and our goals for 2020. And I just want us to reflect on everything that we've learned in this series over the four messages that we've heard. Consider these four things that we've learned about Christ, that he came as the embodiment of the Word of God, speaking a message of hope and salvation from sins. He came and he experienced life as a a human being, allowing him to sympathize with all of our human experience and sufferings. He came to be our representative before God and to offer himself as a sacrifice in our place. And lastly, he came to succeed where we failed, to live in perfect obedience to God, to give us a picture of what that looks like and provide through himself a way for us to have a relationship with God. And so as we think about those four things, I'm going to give you four different resolutions to keep in mind as we're coming into 2021. Remember that the Bible is God's powerful word. Spend time this year reading it, studying it, allowing God to change you through his word, making you more like Christ and growing in your relationship with him. Remember that no matter what comes in this year of 2021, I know that we're so desperately hoping that it's uh, a better or an easier year than 2020, but remember that no matter what happens, no matter what struggles or sufferings we face, that Christ can sympathize fully with everything we experience. So praise Him in the good and the easy times of this year and lean on Him in the difficult times, knowing that He understands what you're going through because he has experienced everything that we do. Third, remember that Christ has made himself a sacrifice in your place and that he stands as your representative before God. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus or accepted that gift that he offers, I invite you, do that today. It's the best decision you'll ever make and you'll never regret it. And if you've already made that decision, allow this to be a reminder of what's been done for you and begin this year with a renewed commitment to follow Christ and live for him. And finally, the last thing that I want to give you as a resolution for this coming year, remember the example that Christ has given us of a life lived in perfect obedience to the will of the father from a heart of love for him. Strive to follow that example as you allow God to change you through his word. Strive to follow the example of Christ and live for God, not out of obligation or fear, but love for him. And our desire to see his will done in our lives. And I pray that the year of 2021 would be defined by that same prayer that Jesus prayed, In my life and in our church, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done in Liberty Grace, in Toronto, in Canada, and in our world. Remember these four things as we go into the new year. And I pray that this would be a year for us as a church entirely focused on Christ and lived in obedience to God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your son and everything that you did through him. Lord, thank you for all that you've taught us about who Christ was through the book of Hebrews and who Christ is. Lord, that you showed us in the law that you gave in the Old Testament that we were unable to live in obedience to you. We were unable to reach your standard. And yet also through the law, God, you pointed forward to the coming of Christ who would be a sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, I I pray for myself and for each person listening to this. Lord, that we would begin this year with a commitment to follow you and live our lives for you. Lord, I want to echo that prayer of Jesus that not my will be done in my life, but yours. Not our will be done in Liberty Grace, but yours. Use our church, Father, to spread the gospel and see your name lifted high in Toronto. And we pray all of these things in your name and the name of your son. Amen. Well, thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope that this is an encouragement to you. As always, if you want to know more about us and our ministry, feel free to follow us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website. Thanks so much and see you next time.